Joel 3 and 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. I want to teach this morning on making godly decisions. Making godly decisions. Let's set our Bibles aside. Let's lift our hands. Let's lift our voices one more time and ask God to move in this house this morning. Lord, I thank you for those that are here for Sunday school this morning and all those that will listen either online on a podcast. God, I I ask you to move in their hearts and in their minds today. Bring strength. Bring God peace, bring the love and the power of the word of God into their hearts. Let every heart, let every mind be open and ready to receive your word in Jesus name. Amen. I preached from this portion of scripture a few weeks ago uh, and the greatest decision you could ever make is your decision to to serve God, to live for God. Salvation is the most important uh, decision that you can make. Now, uh, we understand, of course, that you can't decide to be saved and it be so. But without you making a decision to obey the gospel, salvation is impossible. And there's there's very much an element of, of humanity needing to yield in obedience to the commandments of God. It's, a, it's an important decision, and it's, it's not a one-time decision. Uh, salvation wasn't just a one-time thing. Now, you only needed to be baptized one time. Uh, you only need that name of Jesus called over you one time. It's so powerful that if you were filled with the Holy Ghost and you walked out of this place, or uh, you were filled with the Holy Ghost and a, and a girder fell out of the ceiling onto your head in that moment, if you've obeyed the gospel, it was so powerful one time was enough. But that decision is made day after day, week after week, year after year as we follow after God. It, it was not enough for you to repent 20 years ago. And to speak in tongues 20 years ago, you need to repent. You need to have a flow of the Holy Ghost in your life on a regular basis. Those are important decisions. Today, I want to springboard into a discussion on decisions. And I want to to broaden it out a little bit into really, we, we could begin to cover so many areas of our lives. I just, I want to be... I want to be very practical this morning. Is that all right? Theoretically, we live in a constitutional republic. We're not going to dive into that. It's not an endorsement or lack of endorsement for any political party. Um, but theoretically, our, our founding documents call for life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, Uh, And these are certain inalienable rights. They're not given to us by government. They're given to us by God. Uh, And we exist and we live in, uh, I believe, still one of the greatest countries on the face of the earth in any point in human history. Uh, If you could name for me somewhere else you would rather live, uh, more power to you. But I, I can't think of anywhere that I would rather live than here and now. We, we are an incredibly blessed people to live in America. Uh, the very fact that we're able to gather here 
and do what we're doing right now without any fear of law enforcement or, or some element of, of disgruntled population to break down these doors and, and come against us in violence or to uh, mis, misapply or misuse man's laws to shut this down, it lets you know the level of blessing that we walk in. We have great blessing to stand here today and to dive into the Word of God. But we also have a different mindset many times. And we have a mindset of freedom, of individualism, of liberty. Uh, and those are, those are all important things if they're kept in the proper context, if, they're, if they're, they're maintained with proper boundaries. Those are important things. You are a unique individual created in the image of God. God made you, you. He made you with your personality. Now, don't, don't just gloss over your faults and say, well, God made me this way. No, you, you still need to deal with the faults. You still need to deal with your flaws, your failures, your shortcomings. But God made you, you. He gave you freedom. All right? And we exercise that freedom in this governmental context that we live in. But the kingdom of heaven doesn't function like the United States of America. The kingdom of heaven is not a constitutional republic. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom. That means that the king sits on the throne and reigns supreme. The king is in charge. The king's word goes. The king's judgment is final. The king's opinion should be sought on almost every, and I would say every, matter. The king's voice carries great power and authority. There are few kingdoms that exist in this world today. Uh, the one that many of us are probably most familiar with would be the, the, the kingship or the royal family that still exists in England. But this has been reduced to a largely ceremonial concept even in, uh, even in England. Uh, but they, they now exist in a parliamentary system where a voice equals a vote. People are able to vote. But again, that's not the kingdom of heaven. There is still one on the throne. Jesus is seated squarely on the throne in the kingdom of heaven, and his voice is the final say. There is a kingdom mindset, kingdom thought patterns that will be essential for us when making or striving to make godly decisions. A couple of portions of scripture, I, I want to talk a little bit about life in the kingdom James 1, verses 9 through 10 says this, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. This here also differs from the concept of, of America, this, this, this country where so many can start with nothing and reach something. Uh, but in the kingdom of God, there is an equalizing effect. People that have nothing, when they gain salvation and they, they are baptized in Jesus' name and they are filled with the Spirit, they are exalted and brought up into the presence of God. It is a great blessing 
for them. But the rich who possess everything, the gospel humbles them. It puts the rich on an even playing field with the poor. Now, there's no financial exchange required. But to exist in the kingdom, we are either exalted or we are humbled and we're brought to this place together. Galatians 3 and 27 says this, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. This is a homogenous kingdom. Every tongue, every race, every creed, every segment of society is is represented in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And yet, Paul writes, we're going to do away with all of these distinctions. We're going to set them all aside. We're not going to look at one another. We're not going to judge one another by whether we're bond or whether we're free, whether we're male, whether we're female, whether we're Jew or Gentile. We're not going to judge one another by whether we're poor or whether we're rich. But we are all going to have one mind, one heart, one thought, and that is the heart of Jesus Christ. Jude 1 and 1 shows us a little bit of the mindset of the kingdom of God. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ, reading from the New Living Translation, and a brother of James. He doesn't mention that he is, in fact, the brother of Jesus Christ. He he could have name-dropped and said, hey, that's my brother, that's that's my half-brother. He says, I'm the brother of James, but Jude identifies himself as a slave. The King James says it in a more palatable term for we Americans, a servant of Jesus Christ. But the word is, is, is slave of Jesus Christ. For a Jewish man to willingly identify himself as a slave of someone was a lot bigger of a concept than, than we might understand. To be baptized into, to put on Christ, you become the slave or servant of Jesus Christ. Don't don't be in this place today and be bummed out that you don't have a ton of financial means. You've been exalted. If your family status isn't anything to write home about and you've just been from the quote-unquote dregs of society and God plucked you out of the gutter and brought you into the kingdom of God, you have reason to rejoice. You don't have reason to point your finger at a different family or a different person in the church of God and say, well, bless God, he hasn't blessed me like them. No, no, no. You have eternal salvation and you've been exalted to a higher position than any mere wealth could ever bring you to. And if you have means, rejoice in that God looked past your wealth and looked past what you've accumulated and saw that there was a hungry heart in desperate need of salvation and looked past the fact that you were able to build or accomplish something and look at the fact that you were able to humble yourself and realize, look, I may have built an empire, but I was still desperate for a savior. That's a kingdom mindset. Social classes and distinctions are done away with. And this can be a great marker of the health of a church. 
All walks and all demographics can congregate together in unity. All races, all political parties can congregate together in unity. There shouldn't be a a Republican side of the aisle and a Democrat side of the aisle. There shouldn't be a Native American section and a white section and a black section. There shouldn't even be that consideration. Why? Because we're not Jew nor Greek. We're not Republican or Libertarian. Or there, There should be nothing that we contend for to the disunity of the body. But when I look across the aisle, I don't look at somebody who's poorer than me or richer than me. All I should see is somebody that's had the name of Jesus called over their life uh, and we are together slaves and servants of Jesus Christ. And if it is not so, then it's an area of improvement for us as a church. The richest and the poorest should be able to exist in the same congregation. All have been brought to a level playing field by the grace of God. And on that level playing field, we are subjects and citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. It is higher than this world. And that should be the foremost filter of all decisions we make. Your view as a subject of the kingdom of heaven should be the foremost viewpoint. When you begin to make decisions. Be careful that your view of God isn't that of a friend that gives you cool things. Now, again, don't don't take what I'm saying to an extreme and and, and bend it out of out of what I'm trying to say. We have a friend in God. Romans 8 tells us that we are the sons and daughters of God by adoption. Paul still identifies himself far more times as the slave or servant of Jesus Christ. He's not just a dispenser in the sky that gives us what we want. He is Lord. He is King. He is on the throne. Many called Jesus teacher. Far fewer called him Lord. And so as subjects of this kingdom, we should be seeking the will of the king for every area of our lives, every decision that we make. We should seek the mind of God. Now, he's not a dictator in the context or in the sense that we have uh, had dictators upon the face of this earth and indeed still have dictators. God, God's purity, God's perfection, God's holiness surpasses any human example that we could ever come up with. When God sits on the throne of judgment, you never have to question if there is a human motive behind his verdict. It's always pure. It's always holy. It's always good. When when God speaks into your life, you never have to question if he's truly got your best interest in mind. Why? Because God is pure. He's holy. He's right. Only goodness and only righteousness flows from that throne. We've read tale, we've read story of the, the, the monarchies that have existed throughout human, human existence. And man, there is some twisted stuff that's been done in the name of the king. But the name of that king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, there is only purity and holiness and love that flows from that throne. 
Isaiah 55 and 9 says this, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God has all wisdom and knowledge. Our king is not a man. Our king made man and breathed life into him. Our king is not a sinful human. Our king conquered sin and conquered death and now has purity inside. Jeremiah 29 and 11 demonstrates this. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Our God is good and he's a God of love. Our king is gracious, he is kind, he is merciful. God is not in heaven with a lightning bolt with your name on it, just waiting for you to make a wrong decision. If that's your view of of your heavenly father, then we, we need to talk, we need to open scripture, we need to find a place of prayer, because God is not just waiting for you to slip up so he can smack you down. He's a God of grace and a God of mercy. So there are some some filters, there are some contexts that we need to have impressed upon our mind. And when we exist in in this pattern of thinking, our decision-making has already shifted from earthly or begun to shift from earthly to godly. When you recognize that you're a subject of a heavenly kingdom, that you are not your own, that you've been bought with a price, and... You're not serving some, some evil dictator. You're serving the most, the most kind, loving, and gentle king that has ever existed. Then it's a lot easier for you to seek the mind of God. When you understand that his mind towards you is filled with thoughts of peace and mercy. And not of, of anger all the time. It's a lot easier for you to pursue his mind. An immature or a weak believer only considers themselves. Decisions are based on self and feelings and emotion. It's about me. It's about my. It's about what I feel. As maturity is gained in the kingdom of God, a consideration for the kingdom grows. It's about the king. It's about the other subjects in the kingdom. You cannot call yourself a Christian and not consider the will of Christ when making decisions. To to do so would be false advertising. To name the name of Christ means you are taking upon him lordship or upon you his lordship and his rule over your life. We are to seek his will and his purpose. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 is one of 11 through 13. It's one of my favorite portions of scripture. You should commit it to memory. It's powerful stuff. It's awesome. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. That portion of scripture would provide for us an excellent mindset for decision making. Salvation has been given to us. 
And God begins to teach us that we can deny ungodliness. We can deny worldly lust that we used to live in and we used to walk in. And we could live soberly, righteously, and godly now with an eye towards the future, looking for a blessed hope and a glorious appearing. We are not to be carefree. We are to be sober. We are not to be flippant. We are to be reverent. We are not to be worldly. We are to be godly. The world has a completely different mindset than the servant of Jesus Christ. The world processes information differently and and makes different decisions than a disciple of Jesus Christ would make. Because the world is not looking unto the will of the king. The Lord is or the world is serving the will of self. The world is serving their own lusts and their own desires. All right. Are you ready? This is mind blowing stuff to make. Godly decisions, you must strive to live godly. Unless you strive to maintain that filter, you will inevitably default to pride, to self, and ultimately you will advance the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of light. All godly decisions have their basis in the word and in prayer. Now, please don't tune me out. I, I, I know so many times it's come across the pulpit, the word, prayer. Prayers and readers knew this already, and they don't get sick of hearing about it. They don't get tired of hearing about prayer and about the reading of the word of God. If, if ever somebody across this pulpit mentions, okay, we need to pray, we need to read the word of God, and that grates on you, that might be a great time to investigate why that bothers you. If you're ever like, oh, here they go, they're talking about prayer again, then investigate self and look at self and be like, okay, why does it bother me that somebody's talking about prayer? Prayers are always excited to talk about prayer. People that are devoted to a study of Scripture are always excited to talk about a study of Scripture. But it is impossible for us to make godly decisions if we're living an ungodly lifestyle. It's impossible for us to make godly decisions if we're not getting a steady inflow of the Word of God and the voice of God that we find in the Word and in prayer. The written Word of God provides you with an incredible wealth and depth of information. It is a treasure. Hebrews 4 and 12 says the word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow. It discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And that's why sometimes when the word of God is brought into a context of decision making, that's why it grates on us. Why? Because inside of us, there always exists a capacity for a self-preserving or self-promoting motive. And the word will always search it out. If you'll study the word, it will always discern the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And when there's selfishness inside of us or when there's an ungodly mindset inside of us, the word just has its way of finding it and putting a finger right on it and illuminating 
poor motives and poor decisions in our heart. Amen. Have you ever been in the house of God or you ever been in your devotional time and just you've read through it before and then all of a sudden this verse just appears as if you've never read it and it explodes onto your consciousness and you're like, wow, that's exactly the piece of heavenly wisdom that I needed for this situation. Anybody ever experienced that? Absolutely. That's the living word of God, that word that is quick and it's powerful. Or my favorite is when it's the preached word of God, when somebody's ministering the word of God and you're facing a life decision. And then all of a sudden it just feels like everybody else in the room is gone and the preacher's coming right at you. And God, God, who has heard your prayers, has answered through the preached word of God. Hmm. Joshua 1 and 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, then and only then, shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. If you want to make good decisions, meditate on the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Observe to do according to all that is written In the word of God. And your way will prosper. And you will have success. Amen. Prayer. Matthew 26 and 39. It's Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. It says he went a little further. He fell on his face and prayed. Saying oh my father. If it be possible. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless not as I will. But as thou wilt. Too often we perceive prayer as a heavenly vending machine. And then we get upset when it doesn't spit out our correct selection. You ever had that experience of a vending machine eating your dollar? (laughs) I hate that feeling. Are you clearly punching A5 because you want a Reese's peanut butter cup? And then all of a sudden it comes out with a, what's the one covered in peanuts? Oh, yeah, there you go. Let's go with Milky Way. All of a sudden, it comes out as a Milky Way. That's horrible. And sometimes we pray because the Bible says, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock. The door shall be open unto you. Don't, don't, again, don't misinterpret me. We should ask God for things. And he will give them to us. But sometimes we're asking for a Reese's and a Milky Way comes out. And we're unhappy about it. But we got to go back to the mindset of God knows the thoughts that he thinks towards us and they're good thoughts and his ways are higher. He might know that, look, you don't need peanut butter right now. You need a milky way. You just need to choke down a disgusting candy bar and you need to get through it. And later you can have a Reese's maybe, but right now this is what you need. Prayer is not some vending machine where it's just this this magical formula. We punch in and we pray X prayer just perfectly. We say it six times in a row and then ding, there it is in the slot. Done. No, we get upset because we look at the purpose of prayer wrong. The primary purpose of prayer is to subject our will to his will. Jesus prays this same prayer three times. 
That tells me it's probably not some 10 second patty cake prayer that's going to truly crucify this flesh so that the heart and the mind of Christ can replace ours. It's it even for sinless Jesus three times. He prayed this prayer with great groanings. We're kidding ourselves if we think we can get up in the morning and not pray with effort to bring this flesh into subjection so that the mind of Christ can reign inside of us instead of our mind. But when we'll couple the word with prayer, we'll learn to hear that still, small voice of God. There is no other way to make godly decisions. I hurry today. I've got... Probably more than we've got time for. Fasting. You really want to kick it into overdrive. Add some fasting. Fasting will diminish the voice of your flesh. Ultimately, it might feel like the voice of your flesh is a lot louder. And as you're fasting, unplug. Pull out from this world. Get rid of the news. Get rid of Facebook. Get, just get rid of all of it. And you have silenced the voice of this world and the voice of God, which has been speaking all along will be more easily heard. Counsel. Proverbs 1 and 5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Proverbs 11 and 14 says this, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Proverbs 19 and 20 and 21 says, Hear counsel, And receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. You see, we've got many motives, many devices in our heart. Until we reach the other side and this sinful nature is done away with, we need these elements inside of us to maintain a godly mindset to make godly decisions. I need the voice of a pastor in my life. This has been a goal of my life. I want to talk with my pastor about major decisions, about minor decisions, about a lot of decisions. Now, I'll tell you this. I don't call my pastor, Bishop Brown, in the morning and say, uh, Bishop, I'm standing in front of the cereal cupboard. And I'm having a hard time. Now, I know what his answer would be. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I'm familiar enough with the voice of my pastor to know that he would would counsel me to, to eat Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Actually, I don't even have Cinnamon Toast Crunch in my house. I've learned that, hey, if my right hand offends me, I have to cut it off. I have to get it out. I got to get it. If I stock Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I will fall every single day. It's easier just to not have to fight that battle. Hey, man, I'd balloon up to 350 pounds on Cinnamon Toast Crunch alone. Now, it doesn't replace prayer and the word. It, It does not. That is not what your pastor is for. Uh, My pastor prays for me, but he can't pray in place of me. We can bind together in prayer and we'll go a lot further together. And I believe that God can speak to my pastor about me. 
Is that, is that too much to think that God can speak to my man of God for me and for my life? I ask him to. I ask God to speak to my pastor. I ask him to give him wisdom and understanding for me and for my life. If it's something you feel like you have to hide from your pastor. And I've been there. And I'm like, wait. No. If I can't talk about it with Bishop, what am I doing? This is the wrong decision. If I feel like I have to sneak around and I have to, and I'm worried about what he's going to think when I find out about it, it's probably not a good decision. So I have for us as we close today some filter questions. Because we have a kingdom mindset, because we understand that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he's not an elected politician. All right. Remove yourself from the American mindset and and place yourself in a kingdom mindset. He's king. He reigns eternally. Our opinion, there's no popular vote. There's no electoral college. They're not taking a poll to see what Jesus should do next. He makes decrees. He issues rulings. He's king. All right. He's a benevolent king. He loves you. His mercy is new every morning. His grace will empower you and strengthen you. But all of our decisions have to flow through that filter. Some filter questions for us. Does it align with the word of God? This decision that I'm making, will it align with the word of God? And if not, you have the easiest decision-making process ever. Because you can reject it out of hand. If it violates scripture, get rid of it. It's a no. Or, or a yes, I guess, depending on context. If it violates scripture, it's an easy decision. Have I prayed over this decision? How much have I prayed over this decision? And in prayer, can I discern God's will? You could couple with that. Have I fasted over this decision? Now, I understand that sometimes you are required to make decisions quickly. Right? There are moments and opportunities in life that come to you very fast, and you're not going to be able to go on a three day fast to try to discern the will of God regarding this. That's why it's important that we live godly daily so that the basis of all of our thinking is based in a biblical and prayer and a a, a self crucified mindset. Am I in a hurry? It's a great filter question for a decision. Am I in a hurry? Because decisions made in haste or decisions that feel like we have to, we have to make them right now. We got to decide. It's like a used car salesman. Like right now, if you'll buy it right now, we're, man, that's how people end up with timeshares. If you have a timeshare, I'm sorry. Or in multi-level marketing. Well, let's not, let's go on forward. Tomatoes start flying. What emotions are in play? Investigate your decisions and have the emotional intelligence to look at self and see, okay, what emotions am I experiencing right now? Now, emotions aren't the basis of our decisions. The word of God is the basis of our decisions. But God gave us emotions. 
God placed them inside of us and they are placed there as guardrails and as warnings often to help us and to guide us. So what emotions am I experiencing in this decision? Investigate self and ask God to investigate you. What is my motive behind this decision? Am I being people pressured or spirit led? People push you to make decisions. The spirit leads you to a decision. So strive to discern. Look, are people pushing me or am I being spirit led? How would this decision affect the kingdom of God? That should be the basis of all of our decisions. If I choose this course of action or this course of inaction, what will be the result as far as I can discover to the kingdom of God? If it is detrimental to the kingdom, or it would be detrimental to the kingdom, that's, that's almost a hard sentence to conceive of. Ultimately, nothing is going to be detrimental to the kingdom of God. The kingdom will advance, it will grow, it will reign, it will fill the entire earth. But you, you see what I'm saying. How is this decision going to affect the kingdom of God? Will this decision cause my brother or sister to stumble? If I choose this, will somebody across the aisle from me be affected by it and stumble? Will this decision help me to be more like Jesus Christ? Again, that's, that's our purpose and our goal. Each day, we should be striving to be more and more like Jesus. Will this decision bring glory to God? Colossians 3 and 17 says this, Whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and to the Father by Him. And the Father by Him, rather. Can I engage, can I do this and give glory to God? And when we function with that mindset, I'm not saying every decision becomes easy, but every decision is now framed in a proper biblical, godly mindset. And the voice of God is going to speak into your life. The voice of wise counsel will speak into your life. The voice of, of God's love will speak into your life. I think we should consult God on our where we work. I don't know. Maybe I really want to quit my, my job, but God doesn't want me to quit my job. Maybe I really want to stay in my job, but God doesn't want me to stay in my job. I had to make that decision. I enjoyed being a nurse. I would have loved, and I know there's a snicker right there. Ooh, a Snickers. It's better than a Milky Way. I, enjoy, I, I planned on going back to school. I wanted to pursue a master's degree and then a doctorate degree. Right? That's not a, oh, look at me, I gave up this. But I had to make a decision. Look, God wants me to step away from this and step out of this. And so I, I did it. And I, I, can, I can say confidently, though, though there are times in my flesh I, want, I, I still want some of those things, I, I, I'm confident that I've found the mind of God 
when I, I, I was praying, I was reading the word of God, I was fasting, I was seeking godly counsel, and I began to run it through some filters, and I can say unreservedly, God has blessed that decision. I think we should pray to God about where we live. We should ask the mind of God on what we drive, what we wear. <clears throat> you ready? What we eat. Is my diet causing to be, me to be less effective for the kingdom of God? He's king, right? He's Lord. Again, I, I don't think that God wants us to, to weep and, and wail in tongues about what cereal we're eating in the morning. He might be more of a Wheaties kind of guy. He's my champion. But a godly mindset will consider, am I violating laws of nutrition that are helping me to be... I'm grabbing an, an obscure example, yes, but am I violating laws of nutrition that are damaging this temple that Jesus inhabits and it's causing me to be less effective for the kingdom? That's a godly mindset. That's a godly decision-making process. And if we'll run each area of our life through these filters, we'll find our lives are more quickly aligning with the Word of God. And I guarantee you, you'll find your life has more peace. I'm not going to say everything's going to flow well, because Paul was aligned with the will of God, and in Acts 16, he ends up beat up in a prison. He was making godly decisions, and he ends up with his feet in stocks and his back shredded, and he's in prison. But God knew the thoughts that he thought, and a family was saved. And so Paul decided, look, how will this decision affect the kingdom of God? And he went with it. The kingdom was placed above his own self. It's about the king's happiness before my happiness. It's about the king's will before my will.